Under the banner of St Francis Xavier, the old Zavs dipped their toe in the water in 1899. However, the Zaverian reported it was a hard task to fill a football team with matches against teams with a sufficient degree of respectability. It would take a quarter of a century for old Xavier to come to fruition as the club we know them to be today, through the efforts of four alumni of Xavier College in Kew. Alan Keane, Dan Webb, Harry Considine and Morris Quinn showed the initiative, organisation and enthusiasm required to build a club from scratch. The inaugural 1923 side became renowned for its perseverance and spirit, much like the Zav sides that have preceded them. It's incredible to think this powerhouse side spent 58 years searching, fighting and trying to capture that elusive first senior A-grade premiership which sits proudly in the Turak Road club rooms back in 1981. From there they've become the biggest, boldest and a club to envy in A-section, claiming a further 13 A-grade titles including a VAFA record run of six straight flags between 1995 and 2000. They boast champions in every era, dating back to their formative years right through to the present day. They hold the belief that they can win from anywhere and have more often than not proven that statement to be fact. The Claret and Stout have a proud and storied history across 90 plus years. Through all grades and sections, 79 Premiership Cups sit comfortably in the trophy cabinet. It really is the stuff of dreams. Hello everyone and welcome. This is the Club in Focus podcast. My name is Joe Pignatara. I'm looking forward to bringing you all things old Zavs in this edition. And it's all thanks to Mequacare. They're a proud partner of the Ammos. Been around since 1959, a not-for-profit organisation. And one man to help me do it all in the next hour or so is the voice, the face, the best-looking man in the competition, Mr. Nick Armistead. Hello, Nico. Joseph, is your Zoom not working again, mate, with compliments like that? Clearly can't see beyond your nose. Very, very excited following that introduction. I think it's really funny that, um, as the Zervarian reported in 1899, that they struggled to find games against uh, teams with sufficient degree of respectability. I think that is a fantastic quote. They were largely pretty mediocre before the 70s. They had some... Um, runs of form, but no A-grade flags or anything like that until 1981. But since 1981, they've had 14 A-grade flags and the next best is five. That is unbelievable. Goes to show how much of a powerhouse they have been. Like, I don't know if there's any, um, if there's anything like that in any other competition, but that is far and away the best run of form that we've seen in the VAFA. Now, Zavs, of course, won the six. 1995, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000. Uh, and even since then, they win them from everywhere. Nico, as you said, 14 of those in A grade, three in B grade, C, they've won twice. And the first one was in Division 1, giving them their 20 senior flags. What about this overall, as I mentioned? 91 seasons in the competition, 79 premierships to boast about, Ooh. if you do not mind. My favourite part of the 79 21 come from the Club 18. Now, 
When I first started playing in the Amos, St. Bernard's had a clubby side and they used to run around. I told you on a previous podcast, St. Bernard's wore yellow shorts. We used to play against the Crocs, the old Zav Crocs. Uh, could not beat them. No one could beat them. 21 Club 18 flags. In fact, since 1992, of those 21, 18 have come since 1992 against the Crocs. Can you believe that run on top of the seniors run? Well, that goes a long way to showing uh, just how powerful the club is across all sections, isn't it? Like, I mean, they're thirds as well. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but but have been super successful. Their reserves are always there in September. They're seniors, as you've already said. Now, of those 14, by the way, the seniors have won, they've only lost five. So when they get there, they win them, which goes (laughs) all the way down to the Crocs. And I'm really looking forward to one of our guests today, David Landry again, obviously a very, very highly touted senior player, but has played in the last few years in the Crocs. We can ask him all about that. Yeah, magnificent story is, David. He's going to join us. He's the club game's record holder at the moment, sitting on 311. There's a current player who we've spoken about a lot in Ammo's podcast and on uh, Match of the Day coverages, Matt Chopper-Hanley closing in on 300. I wonder if he'll get there, Nico. I wonder if he will. He's played, I think... Oh, 120-odd consecutive senior games. Later on in the podcast, we'll go through those exact numbers. But David Landrigan is going to join us. So is Jack Bowen, a man who was pivotal and instrumental in turning the club fortunes around. I think in the early 70s, they were almost on their knees. Current president, Matty Cosgrave, is going to join us. Now, he's got some family ties that go back to the 50s, Nico. So when Matty joins us, he's going to tell us about that. My favourite today is going to be Barry Richardson, talking to an ex-Richmond legend. He's won three flags with the Tigers. He was the president of the Tigers. He was the coach of the Tigers, but he's also the coach of old Zavs. And I know, Nico, that your time in the Amos, you know a bit more about Barry than I do. You've had a few dealings with him. Tell us a little bit about Barry now before he joins us uh, very shortly. Well, the dealings I've had with Barry refer to the Big V Club and obviously his ties there. And specifically last year, we saw... Simon Lethleen inducted as a Big V champion after his time coaching and playing for Zavs. And Barry loves a good story. He delivers a good story. I'll be looking forward to getting a bit of information on his annual pig shooting expeditions to Hay. You know, I get really excited about anything to do with Richmond. And last week's podcast, for anyone who did listen, there was a bit of a Collingwood vibe. And as you know, you're a bit of a pot man. You lose your head when the black and white's around. You're bit of a baboon at times when it oh. comes to the black and white. <laughs> In doing my research on Algerians, I found a little nugget which really stood out to me and got me going. It comes from 1962. I'm interested to hear where um, this goes, it, Collingwood links to 1962 with old Zavs. Yeah, so apparently in 1962 it even came to pass that VAFA clubs rebelled against the excessive friendliness of VAFA officials with VFL clubs. So the executive committee had admitted Collingwood amateurs to the VAFA. Now, a number of delegates objected bitterly to the club's admission at the 1962 annual meeting, including Old Zavarians and really oh. led by Old Zavs. But a motion was passed overturning the executive decision, saying this meeting of delegates deplores the admission of a club sponsored by the Collingwood League Club and that their admission to the VAFA be terminated at the earliest possible moment. So Collingwood decided to pull their amateur team 
out of the VFA before that season. So I didn't have to go to a vote or anything like that. But that was led by all the variants. So what I'm loving is that the club that we're focusing on today, the powerhouse of the last 50 years, blatantly led a charge to stop your beloved Pies entering an amateur team into VAFA. Are you being serious right now? You expect me to I'm sit here for the next hour or so, talk about a club that booted out my magpies? Are you kidding me? <laughs> what? That's farcical. But you know what? I think it might make sense because Collingwood were pretty dominant in the uh, the VFL back then. Of course, they were going up against Melbourne in all those grand finals. So would that have meant that their reserve side would have played in the Ammos? Is that what you're alluding to at that time? We'll have to find out from someone who was around at that point in time and maybe knew some of the reasons. Um, you know why I'm more staggered at that? Not just because of the love that I have for the Collingwood Footy Club, but if you go back through Zav's archives, now, as we mentioned in the intro, they came to pass in 1923 after dipping their toe in the water in 1899. One of their inaugural coaches, Nico, was the greatest Collingwood coach of all time, and I'm not talking about Mick Mouldhouse, who is the current game's record holder for coaching. It's the man he went past in Jock McHale, who coached Collingwood to those four grand final premierships in a row, the machine era of 27, 28, 29. So in 1928, Father O'Keefe was uh, the sportsmaster, the head sportsmaster at Zavs, and he was coaching the sides. But he left, which allowed the opening of the position at Old Zavs. And Johnny Wren, who was of, who was part of the Collingwood Footy Club, was part of Old Zavs at the time, the school, asked Jock McHale to come down and coach the boys. So in 1928, Jock McHale is coaching the Collingwood Footy Club to their second flag in a row, which was against the Tigers. Interestingly enough, in 1928, so he's coaching them, but he's also coaching Collingwood. So he's coached Zavs during the week and gone to Collingwood on weekends. So Zavs have played with a different coach on game day. In 1929, he swapped it round, couldn't get to training on a Wednesday because he was at uh, Collingwood training. Appeared at some games, I've been told, through my research. Zav's on a Saturday. And then in 1930, when Collingwood are going for four in a row, he couldn't continue his position coaching the old Zavs. But then they've gone and shot Collingwood in the foot 30 years later. So you get the greatest ever coach, and then you kick him out of the elbows. What is going on there? That's amazing to me because as we've spoken about already, there was a really a mediocre period for old Zavs prior to the 70s. And so they've got Jock McHale at the helm. Granted, he's not there full-time. And while he's taking Collingwood to the ultimate VFL premierships over here, on the other hand, he can't take Zavs to flags over here. I think that's absolutely amazing. And the fact that they've got that sort of connection with Jock McHale and those sorts of names who we will delve into today is really, really amazing. I think some of the names that we're going to come up with today will amaze people. I was blown away yesterday doing some some looking over the names of some of the coaches that they've had, just the coaches. So Jock's obviously at the top of the tree. Michael Green played for the Richmond Footy Club. Uh, Grant Thomas, of course, was the St Kilda coach. He was there in 1992. Matty Hanabry, 93-94, of course, the father of Dan Hanabry, director of footy at the moment, Barry Richardson, who we're going to chat to. Michael Sholley's name is there, 2003-2004, 
Of course, he was the uh, former CEO of the Ammos. I think he came with me to New Zealand in 2010 as part of that Big V trip. Well, he, he came with you, did he? Yeah, he came with, with me. No, no. Shot, Michael came with me. I put him in my bag and he came with me. Uh, Simon Lethleen, as we mentioned, Andy Gowers, of course, and in more recent times, James McDonald was also part of that coaching fraternity. These are people with AFL, VFL experience that are coaching the old Zavs. And it's any, no wonder, Nico, this side has been... So dominant since 1981. It is incredible. Um, also, the Crocs side of things is incredible. But it, in all of the research and the talking to the people that we've had, is there one thing that sticks out that you just you can't? We should also mention, of course, that in recent years they've included their women's sides as well, who are slowly finding their feet. And no doubt, once they do, they'll become a dominant powerhouse as well. It's just what old Zavs do. But is there one thing that sticks out for you that you can't wait to look forward to across the next 60 minutes or so? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our chats with all our guests, but particularly to Jack Bowen. I mean, the turning point that came in the mid-70s when they won that flag in D-grade and continued to work their way up to A-grade by 1980, I think is just amazing. I want to know what sort of changes were made and things were put in place to ensure that turnaround. I think that's really interesting because there were some really dominant clubs throughout that period at the top level. I'm talking about D. LaSalle, North Old Boys and Ormond, those sorts of clubs. So for them to not just match it with those clubs, but become as good as and better in a lot of ways, I'm really looking forward to finding out. Well, you can ask him right now because he's hanging on the line. He is the former president of Old Zavs back in the 70s. It's uh, Jack Bowen. Hello, Jack. Hey, boys. Good to hear you. Thanks for joining us uh, on the Club in Focus podcast. Before we delve into your role as as president of Old Zavs, take us back to the very start for yourself, Jack. Was it just because you're an Old Zavs boy that you ended up becoming part of the Old Zavs? Certainly it was. I think I was pretty keen on uh, my school, Xavier, and uh, I left there at the end of 1962. Prior to that, uh, I'd been to see a couple of Old Zavs matches, and um, I remember one... Uh, we were playing, Olds as were playing Ormond, and I remember at three-quarter time as a young boy wandering out to see them uh, sharing a glass of port at three-quarter time. And uh, probably half the players were smoking. <laughs> it was just one of those relaxed three-quarter time <laughs> moments uh, in amateur football. And I thought, wow, this club uh, is doing it right or wrong. I couldn't remember what I really thought, but I was amazed. Great lot of guys and uh, sort of legends uh, in their time of uh, with the club. So then, anyway, I sort of was in contact with the old boys then, but certainly I loved my school, loved playing sport at Xavier, and then went on to play with the old Zaz the year after I left, uh, left the school. And so did it just instantly feel like home that afternoon when you walked out to the three-quarter time huddle? Well, I don't know about then, but it was just a, a, a funny moment. Because Zavs have been well known for enjoying a drink, and it's still we still have that reputation a little bit. But uh, it certainly I saw it start back in 1958, so uh, or whenever it was. But the other part to it, I think, and I think it's the same today. I didn't go to university. I had a family business, and I started in that basically the next year, 1963, and I needed something like the old Zavs Footy Club uh, because it was. Um, basically going to work and, and, and losing contact with the guys that I knew from school and then being able to, on a Tuesday and Thursday night, go to training out here at Xavier, and uh, I'm here at the moment, in fact. It was fantastic. So I was able to continue that those relationships, which have been important to me in my life anyway, right through till now. 
Yeah, those relationships were obviously, and your relationship with the club was obviously a massive reason um, for how much you helped it out throughout the 70s. We've been talking throughout this podcast that it um, there wasn't the success at the top level during those early years, but we're told from multiple sources at Zavs that you were the leading person, I suppose, that helped turn the club around during the 70s en route to the 81 A-grade premiership. I just want to know, from your point of view, some of the changes that you made that helped get the Zavs on the right track. Hey, I've got to correct (laughs) this reputation because in my time as president, the club went down. We went down to C or D-grade. Lou Zachariah, I think, had been the president and it was sort of I was the one uh, after step up in 1970 and we were sort of faltering then and I couldn't stop the slide so I didn't really do anything particularly great. Um, I think at the end of the day, probably when I finished after, I think it was three or four years, handing the, the, the reins to a guy named Brian, Brian Lugar um, was my best decision. Unfortunately, what had happened too that didn't help with 1971 my father died very suddenly, so I had to sort of take over the running of our family business, and I should have actually stepped down as president then. So to cut a long story short, it wasn't a glorious period in my reign at all. Uh, I suppose what I did do is hang in there, that was all, and um, other people followed along, and we've sort of, others really got it going uh, after that. Now, Jack, I'm just looking at your 1981 premiership team right now. Now, that was obviously a big moment in the club's history, and I'm sure holds a great place in your heart. Yeah, it was a bit of a boil over, um, defeating North Old Boys by 21 points. But some of the names in that team, which was coached by Michael Green, you've got Steve Curtin, you've got Nick Byrne, a lot of stars. Do you remember that team? And I suppose, what are your memories of that 81 flag? Oh, well, I, I remember crying my eyes out when we won it because a lot of, we'd been through all that time without it. And, Mike Green, who's still a great friend, was just a, a wonderful coach and, uh, of course, won the B-grade flag and then wins an A-grade flag. It's a pretty good effort. Those guys I still see a bit of. Uh, Nick Byrne uh, I see quite a bit of down at Sorrento. Uh, they were really, really good. It was a very, very good team, to be honest. The people that sort of got us to that point, and Mike Green was something special, of course. Uh, being an old Xavier, a great Richmond star, and just a really good man, a good leader of, of people, just the right man, and amazing how things sort of come together. I'm sure most of my time in the 80s was taken up having boys at the school, so I followed their their careers more than I probably did the old Zavs. I'd still go and watch a few old Zavs games, but that was a spectacular day that day, winning our first A-grade flag, for sure. Now, since that day, you've gone on to win 14 A-grade flags, which is nine more than the next best. And so I just want to ask from your personal opinion, because you talk to people and they say, oh, your greatest rivalry is with Old Scotch. No, it's with Collegians. No, it's with Uni Blacks. It's with whoever. Now, your grand final wins um, have come against Collegians twice, Uni Blues twice, St. Bernard's twice, and Scotch twice, whereas those five losses in that time have been Ormond twice, St. Bernard's, Halebury, and Collegians. In your opinion, who do you think is the greatest rival to Old Zavarians? Certainly right now for Kevin. Uh, <laughs> a great rivalry there. I mean, i got so many mates from St. Kevin's, but, you know, we love to beat bloody St. Kevin's, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, Scotch is the same thing. I mean, great friends from Scotch. Always love... Look, you'd love to beat all those people you've mentioned. Um, 
But we had that great run, I mean, from uh, 95, of course, through to 2000, six in a row, uh, and then 03, 05, 07, 09, 10, 13 and 16. It was a fantastic run, um, and it's hopefully not over. Yeah, as far as rivalries, I mean, respect them all, though. Respect them all. I mean, Collegians were a, a wonderful club back when I played, and there's just battled on so well over the years. Uni Blues have sort of um, been up and down a bit. Uni Blacks were very strong when I was playing, but faded out a little bit. But all all great clubs, all great clubs. Now, Jack, uh, you mentioned there, you rattled off all those premierships that you've won since 1981. Uh, your two sons, Andrew and John, have been a members of 11 of those premiership teams. That's a pretty yeah. good uh, little pedigree you've got going on in the Bowen household. 11 premierships between yeah. your two boys. It is that I'm so lucky. I mean, I, I when I played with Old Zaz, we played in a grand final in 1964, and we lost by four points in the grand final. Uh, we'd beaten Parade, Old Paradians, who were very strong back then. We'd beaten them well in the second semi, and then got pipped on the paint. I always think back on that game. A couple of things I did that didn't work, and others, but four points it would have been our first A grade flag. For then to have two boys um, to play, well, John played in the straight six, uh, and then he was lucky enough to play in 2003 when Andrew played in his first premiership. So the two boys played in the in the in the same team in 2003. The run from '95 to 2000 was very exciting because we just won a couple of ones easily, but snatched a few by I don't know how. They were just a group of guys. Um, Andrew Dillon, uh, Andrew Brushfield, um, David Landrigan, my own son John, who were Dan uh, Richardson. They were just great leaders at the time. And so they they really got something going, including obviously some great coaches. Yeah, so I was very lucky to have two boys that one played in seven premierships and the other in four, and both of them played in the same one in 2003. So I'm very Blessed. And have you ever asked John why he wanted to always play on the outer wing and never swap sides? <laughs> it's crazy, that, isn't it? The bone wing on the other side. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly can't remember why, how that happened, but um, it did. And, uh, yeah, that was a strange one, that one. <laughs> and just last one on your boys. Uh, they represented the Big V as well. Did they ever play in the same Big yeah. V side or were they in separate years? No, years? no separate years, yeah. Forgot when John played, but Andrew played in two or three, and I don't. I've forgotten what years he played. He played certainly under Simon Lane when he coached. I don't know who the other coach was. He might have played in three. John played in probably three or four. I'm not certain. Would have been great pride, just not only as a father of the two boys, but to see so many Zavs players over the years represent the Big V, and of course have Simon coach them for a period of time as well. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, Simon was uh, not not an old Zav, but. Um, I think he went to Campbell Grammar, but certainly his father uh, was a saviour, and I, I know Paul very well. And his uh, uncle uh, was a saviour guy who went on, Linton left league, went on to play at Uni, Uni Blues, actually. But um, Simon was a terrific player and a great leader, really, really good coach. Very well respected with old Zaz, and I assume with the, uh, the Vicks as well. Now, Jack, uh, last one before we let you go. You've got... The Division One Premiership of 1976. You got that A grade flag in 1981, and then across all of Zavs across the 91 seasons, you've claimed 79 premierships. Now, do you have a favourite? Um, 
look, it's, it almost sounds arrogant, Dunn, to say that there's been that many that you can't. <laughs> I, I think there are there are a couple of surprises, you know, a couple, certainly, in fact, I wasn't at the 2016. Uh, we were away at the time, but watched it from up in Queensland. I mean, that was a, a amazing because um, Trinity were certainly outright, outright favourites. And uh, But I think there was another one against Collegians where we only won by a point or something. And uh, look, yeah, I'd, I'd have to just, would you believe during this corona thing and being stuck at home, my wife went crook at me one day because I spent the day I basically got all the replays of the premierships and I watched the 2003 and I watched the 2007 and maybe 2009. And you forget, you know, the games. You just forget what happened. You forget how exciting they were and how nearly we could have not won um, and what what turned the game around. Uh, Also, some uh, we played in a lot of other finals and the, the few years we didn't get for the grand final, we actually generally played in the finals, and um, I'll probably remember it after I, you know, we hang up. <laughs> but I, I can't, I can't remember anyone in particular. But unless we were ten goals up with twenty minutes to go, I would always think we, you know, we're just not going to win it. And um, and then there was a few where we were, in fact, behind, but got in and just. He got there somehow. It's interesting the way you've put that, Jack, because we've done a couple of these and uh, a couple of your opposition clubs, mainly St Bernard's, were ahead one afternoon by about nine goals and got run down and beaten. So they've always gone in with a mentality that no matter how far ahead of Zavs you are, you're never a certainty to win the game. Last, yeah. last, last one before we let you go. I asked you about the premierships. You've had a number of sensational coaches over the journey. Off the top of your head are there a couple that just stick out every time you get asked about old Zavs that they just go straight to the name, best player or the best coach you've seen come through the club? Well, look, all the coaches, all amazing, you know, when you see a Michael Sholley who'd really not done a lot of football coaching, mainly cricket, but he was a good leader. But Barry Richardson, I think, um, you know, he he was the one that uh, you've probably heard of a dinner that he, the, the year that, in 95, when he was, coached 95 um, I think it was that, the end of 94 anyway a dinner that uh, he spoke at and there was a bit of mucking around at this dinner and he basically stopped the night and said listen guys if you're going to carry on like that you know what's the point of things da, 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 da. and he got a discipline in uh, and then as a coach gathered great people around him had great respect from the players so Barry's got to be right up there and Simon Lethleen I think would be the next Nick Burke was true. They're all good. They're all good. So I, I can't separate them. Probably, you know, I go for Barry and, and uh, Simon uh, as being particularly outstanding. Tim O'Shaughnessy, amazing when you think of Tim. Uh, he went on to coach, I think, uh, a couple, certainly a couple of other clubs, but he, he had a had a great way of connecting with the, with the boys, with the men. Uh, it's all about connecting with the guy, having respect for the... the the players almost wanting to play for the coach necessarily rather than the, the, the club, I think. And you need a coach like that. It's been uh, fantastic to go down memory lane with you, Jack. And, of course, the Bowen name is a household name at Old Zavs, not only with yourself but with your two boys representing them so fondly over the journey. 11 A-section premierships is the envy of all the competition. We really appreciate you giving us some of your time on the Club in Pocus podcast. Jack, take care. Good on you, boys, and thank you for inviting me.
terrific. Nico, Jack Bowen played over 100 games with old Zavs in the 60s. His son, John, never played a bad game. He played over 200 games. And Andrew Bowen played well over 100 games. And as we just mentioned, 11 A-section premierships between the Bowen brothers. Uh, phenomenal. I am so jealous. I'd just love to have one, let alone 11, if you don't mind. You'd be lucky to get a game in that croc side at your best, my <laughs> guess, mate, at this point. No, that was absolutely fantastic to hear from Jack. Obviously, what stands out to me is quite a few good stories in there, clearly, but um, his first memory of the guys drinking port and smoking at the three-quarter time huddle, I think he's just an absolute ripper in there. Where they've gone to since then is just simply amazing. Nico, there's another man who's been instrumental in the old Zavs, and he's been around for a very long time. He was, at one point in his career, doing the role that you're currently doing at the moment, the head of media and communications with the VAFA. His name's Michael Fitzgerald, and you've known him for a very long time. Before we hear from Fitzy, we're going to replay a bit of uh, Fitzy from last year's Match of the Day coverage. Your involvement with him, your time spent alongside him, did you have much to do with him when you took over the role? Was he a mentor of any sort to your good self? Well, Fitzy's always been involved still because he's always been at Inner FM, as you know, our radio broadcaster for 25 years um, up until last year. And I think the thing that stands out for me when it comes to Fitzy is his knowledge of the history of not just Zabs, but the competition. I mean, there's that many spreadsheets at HQ where he's got all the games and all the premiership winners and all the scores and all that sort of thing. I mean, that's something that he started when he joined the Amos in the late 2000s under Michael Scholley. So I'm really interested to hear this because I wasn't here at the time when you did this interview with Fitzy to hear about himself from a younger age and how he got involved with the club. Well, let's go back to 2019 where we caught up with Michael Fitzgerald on the RSN Carnival Match of the Day coverage. I began my uh, amateur football uh, life, I think I was about 14, going to school at St Ignatius College in Adelaide. That was the year that the old Ignatians was formed and they're a brother school to uh, to Xavier. And I began there as a, as a boundary umpire and then a goal umpire. And um, when I left school, I, I joined the club, played a few games, but uh, was into administration from the very beginning and um, spent 10 or 11 years before there before I went overseas, became a life member of the club, one of the early life members and uh, was president of the club for a while and um, went back to Adelaide, got involved in amateur footy again with my old club for a while, moved to Melbourne in 98 and hooked up with the old Zavs in uh, in about 2000, just the tail end of their straight six and uh, apart from um, a couple of short stints in Adelaide and uh, a three-and-a-half-year stint at the VAFA where I was the communications manager. I've, um, I've been at the old Zavs ever since. So. And how proud are you of coming across from Adelaide and being a part of this footy club? As you said, you came on at the tail end of the, all that success, but it's continued to follow them even in recent well, times. Well, look, it, it, it has. It, it, look, it's, it's no accident because, I mean, the, the reason that I was attracted, I was asked to come down by... A very good friend of mine who was uh, no longer with us. Uh, I um, soon found some acceptance there, and I mean, I think like like all good clubs, it doesn't matter how strong you are. There's always something else to do, and something else, something more that can be done. You know, it's it's 
footy clubs are never the finished article and at the end of the year whether you get relegated or whether you uh, win a premiership you, you start again and you know there's always people moving on and you know this one's going overseas and the coach can't do it anymore or the, the president's retiring or you know someone that's been the linchpin of a certain part of the club for years is uh, no longer available. I mean, and, and it's a it's, it's a real reshuffle every year. And uh, it's not so much a pride that I have about my time with the Olds of Areas. I just, I just feel lucky, really lucky, to have met so many great people along the way, and and we've worked shoulder to shoulder on different aspects of making our club better. We think we're the best club in the amateurs. Uh, we're certainly nearly the biggest, but we also recognise that there's. Uh, a lot of improvement that we can we can all make in terms of, um, of of being stronger and for that matter making our competition stronger which is really important the, the old Zavs don't ever believe we can't win the flag if we're we've got the ticket to awesome we've, we've won so many in the past there so many when we haven't been the best side for the year so many when we haven't been best side for the day when we're the best team, we always win. In all your time watching footy, are you surprised at all at how Jason Holmes has come on? This is a guy from America who's gone from strength to strength at AFL level when he got experience. Last year, he was outstanding, and this year, it looks like he's even better. My assessment is that he's he is a little more uh, polished in terms of skill and also in terms of understanding of the game. I, I think that happens. I mean, uh, Homer was a... Uh, was a fairly decent college basketballer. He's got some very good ball attributes. He's 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 solid overhead. He fights for the ball on the ground. You know, he, he follows up his own ruck work a lot of the time. And yeah, that you know, until he was twenty five years old he never kicked a Sharon. Well He's getting better at that too. I love listening to your insights on all of this. I, I think it's fascinating. I think you can speak with some passion that only Zabs people tend to hold. So there's Michael Fitzgerald from the 2019 RSN Carnival Match of the Day coverage. Nico, one thing that he we asked him about during the interview was Jason Holmes, the influence of him as, as the current day starting ruck for, for the old Zavs. And why we left that bit in was because Holmes, he's got a story and a half to tell. He's... Our age, Nico, nearly 30. He's from America up until uh, five or six years ago, had never touched a Sharon in his life. Of course, gets recruited to St Kilda in the AFL, has a crack at the big time, and he's been at Old Zabs for the last couple of years. Before I ask you about what you've seen of Jason Holmes over the last couple of years, here he is as part of last year's Match of the Day coverage. Jason, you didn't grow up with footy like all of us young boys around here did, but you've taken it to like a duck to water. Have you really enjoyed your time at Zavs, not only last year, but obviously the start to this season? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's a different... Uh, I never really got to play grassroots football um, and just kind of that community and that because uh, I came in at a different level where it was a business and it was your job. But to get up on Saturday and know you're going to go run out and try to get a win with the boys and, and celebrate that with them, um, it's a great feeling. So... Uh, yeah, it's a great community at all, Zabs. Do you feel comfortable in your run-up? You've got a bit of a stutter, a bit like Josh Kennedy. Mind you, he's a two- or three-time Coleman medalist. He's better than Josh. So uh, <laughs> do you feel comfortable when you're running up and lining up for goal? Yeah, look, they tried to teach. Um, I mean, I've tried to work on some, some routine over the past six years, but I've given up on that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. The, boy, the boys are going to get into me every time, and I just put a smile on my face and know that. It doesn't matter how do you it. do it. It yeah, doesn't exactly. matter. As long as it hits your boot yep. and it goes through... 
the big sticks. It doesn't matter how you line it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> how, how have you adapted to this game? Last season, a good pipe opener for you. Coming into this year, how have you thought about how your season's going to play out? Yeah, well, um, uh, again, it's the, the game plays pretty quick at this level. Um, guys get the footy, and we look to take it on and get the ball forward. So um, I don't really have too many opportunities to, to spread forward because we're playing so quick. But um, uh, it's just as, as much as, as much as I can, just support the defense when I can get down there, get the ball forward, get in the mid's hands, and if you can win that battle, um, you know, leaves plenty of opportunity for the forwards to, to go to work as well. So um, it, it really is just can you, in, in my mind, as a midfield group, we just went at the source and everyone else, and everyone else is doing their role as well, we can help them. So that was Jason Holmes as part of the 2019 Match of the Day coverage. I remember, Nico, when we spoke to him on that particular day, more so yourself was in awe of the way he spoke about the game and how quickly he picked up the structures and, and what the coaches were asking him to do. This, as we mentioned before we played that, someone who's only picked up the game five or six years ago but taken to it like a duck to water. We saw last year he averaged over 70 hitouts. Pizzazz. It was absolutely amazing. It was the highest in the competition, highest throughout the VAFA. But just some of the matchups that he had because he played against Plugger Lynch, who he even told us was probably the hardest to play against just because he bodies up and he can't use his athleticism as much. Anthony Ferrato, Ace Cordy, those sorts of things. They're usually games within a game or matchups within a game. But that day that we spoke to him out at Collegians, he was the reason that they came back at three-quarter time. There are a few goals down and him and Rowan Buick and a few others just found plenty of it. And I remember he plucked a few um, when he moved forward in that last quarter, put one or two goals through in the second half. And he was really the reason that they came back. And that was a really important win for them at that stage of the year. Do you think if Uni Blues didn't have Ace Cordy and we know that Plugger's gone into retirement, that Jason Holmes would be the number one ruckman of the Amos competition? I think he is the number one Ruckman. Oh, regardless of ace? Yeah, absolutely. And I said this in one of my articles last year, I think specifically, obviously, Tat Ruckman, but his midfielders get first use nearly every time, like more than 60 70% of the time just because of his dominance in the Ruck. I think ace is more of a forward Ruck, um, or he spends a lot more time down forward than Jason. But Jason can go the entire day. Look at his athleticism. He can run all day and... Like I said, he gives his midfielders first. He's, I think he's far and away and has been for the last couple of years um, the number one ruck. Fascinating to hear you talk about him and fascinating to hear Jace himself. And hopefully, Nico, when footy does come back, we get to see him gracing Turak Park and all other Amos fields that the old Zab boys play on because, as you mentioned, he is a dominant ruckman and he's great to watch. And as we said before, he's coming on in leaps and bounds. I'm sure Barry Richardson would have loved to have coached Jason Holmes, because he is a very coachable character. And Barry is a superstar, not only of the Richmond Footy Club, but of old Zavs, and he is about to join us. The siren signifies the end of this one, and we can declare that old Zavarians are the 2007 Premiers. Coming through, Handley, looking for the boundary line. Victor, congratulations to Old Zavarians who control the match for most of the day. There it is there, the siren sounds. And Old Zavarians are premiers in 2013. Cross unloads long with Fergus Trudel. There's the siren. The siren has sounded. And Old Trinity have 
Well, Nico, I'm very excited about our next guest on the Club in Focus podcast. We're looking at all things old Zavs, and we're going to go back to 1995. The senior coach in this particular year helped them start their run of six. I'm talking about Barry Richardson, and he joins us on the line. Hello, Barry. Hi, boys. How are you? So, Barry, there's a lot that we want to talk to you about, and, and I'm as I said, I'm very excited too, and there's a lot that I could ask you with. Oh, but don't I, be too excited. I'm not that good. Nah, you're very good. Very good, Barry. I, I've spoke to one of your old uh, Richmond teammates who's got a lot of questions he wants me to ask through me, but we'll get to Richmond in a moment. I just want to take you back to 1995. Was How did you end up down at the old Zavs and, and in the coaching position? Well, I, I probably got lured back into coaching uh, through the amateurs. Actually, what actually happened, I was the honorary physio, would you believe, to John Fisher's state sides and also Mike McCall's state side, I think, in 1991. Then what happened in 91 over in WA, um, we had a, a particularly bad carnival and uh, David Byrne at the time sort of pers- persuaded me to sort of get back into coaching. It, w- it suited me at the time because it was only like about a six or eight week season. So I took on the, uh, the state amateurs. Uh, that must have been... Uh, 92, 3 and 4 and then after the carnival in 1994 which we you know we did extremely well um, my son Daniel and a few of his Xavier mates somehow conned me into saying I should coach the old Zavs so it might have been over too many uh, too many glasses of wine that I said <laughs> yes <laughs> and so um, there I was sort of coaching the old Zavs now having said that I'd watched the old Zavs for a couple of years under um Matthew Hanabry, and they were quite good. They were sort of up, you know, up with the, uh, uh, well, up with a better side than amateur football, but they just they hadn't won a premiership. You know, they only won one in sort of something like 73 years. It just probably frustrated me that I sort of saw a fair amount of talent there, but they just didn't really quite know how to sort of um, take the next step, I suppose. I came in there with... Um, or a reasonably tough attitude, I suppose. Uh, hopefully not too tough, but a reasonably tough attitude to sort of try and just raise their standards. And in doing that, um, I was lucky enough to uh, have uh, Ben Buckley, now the chairman of North Melbourne, was looking for a place to uh, have a game. And somehow uh, you know, he, he was put on to me. Um, I also lured Anthony Leoncelli back to play. Um, he was thinking of playing Cooey Rupp, actually, for, for money. Then Paul Tudden, who was the next Olsevarian, he came back as well. And probably the most in, one of the most important parts of that sort of uh, that jigsaw puzzle was actually Michael Gaither. Now, Michael Gaither wasn't playing for the Olsevarian, but he was, he was playing back at the Tura. So with the advent of uh, Ben Buckley, very professional, Michael Gaither, Paul Tudden, I think what they did is help raise the standards of, uh, of training and the way we went about it. And, uh, you know, the, the results probably a history where we had a very successful year and, and won the, the grand final quite, uh, quite well. But I've always believed that, the, you know, to be a good coach, you need good players. So, and I think that was probably borne out by that particular side. Uh, then uh, Lee and Shelley went to Melbourne the following year and had a good career. Anthony McDonald also, uh, was, was a good player at the time. Uh, he also went to Melbourne. So I was able to sort of, uh, I guess, help some of those players in their careers as well. Did you take many learnings out of 
playing under Tommy Hafey at the Tigers that you took into coaching in 95? Look, yes and no. I, I mean, I coached Richmond in 1977-78. And um, to be honest, I think that the evolution of the game was sort of starting to change a bit. You know, a, a very successful era uh, under, the, under the Hafey regime. And part of that, I think, gives you some measure of what's required to be successful. And so I think I was able to introduce the old Zavs um, just a, just an order of professionalism in 1995. And if I just digress slightly further, you know, the next four or five years, um, people said, uh, gee, they're lucky, the Zavs, you know, they've had this uh, one six in a row and, and whatever. And I said, yeah, lucky, not too sure about that. But what actually happened is that um, because of, I think, that the launching pad of 1995, uh, Daniel, my son, and uh, quite a few of his mates. Um, you know, there was a Landrigan, there was a, a Blood, there was a, a whole bunch of them. Decided they quite liked this winning idea, <laughs> and so um, I know that at probably you know, seven to seven thirty in the morning of a Monday and, and Wednesday, Dan would be on my doorstep for breakfast, having been to the gym at, uh, at old at, at Xavier with probably seven or eight of his mates. And so they became, you know, professional amateurs about the way they went about it and trained. And so uh, their subsequent success was not, obviously they were good players, but it was also the way they went about it. So they were, I think, probably bigger, stronger, whatever, because of that. And uh, they took that into the, the amateur idiom, a great reason for their success. Barry, can I just ask you, now 1995 was your first flag that you coached for Zavs. You've gone away and then you've come back during the 2000s where you've coached the 2005 flag and the 2007 flag against Old Brighton. Can I ask you your reason for coming back? I was conned again. (laughs) 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 John Bowen. Uh, look, I, I'd had a, uh, it had been interesting really. When I left the Zavs, I had two years as chairman of selectors with Neil Baum. I had two years as chairman of selectors with David Parkin. And I had two years or three years with Mark Thompson down in Geelong as uh, chairman of selectors. So I sort of became in some ways the coach of the coaches. And uh, after I left Geelong, I felt that I'd probably had a fair influence on the way the you know, the evolution of the game had been going. To cut a long story short, Xavier was sort of looking for a, a coach. And they came around in my home in Hawthorne and John Bowen Jr. and Simon Hunt was the president. And they were sort of talking about interviewing various coaches. And I gave them some advice. I said, now listen, if you're going to get, you know, don't insult people by sort of, um, you know, interviewing them and then sort of saying they haven't got the job. Um, I said, Find someone who you really want to coach and go to them and, and um, make sure you go down that line rather than doing a lot of interviews. So they, And they went away and they sort of said, oh, that's very good advice, Barry, and that's all good. And they came back about a week later and they said, look, we've, we've identified someone. I said, oh, that's that's good, good. I'm glad you followed that advice. I said, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I had to sort of... Uh, Talked to my darling wife Judy, who'd been long suffering in the uh, in the football world, and um, anyway, she was happy enough for me to do that. And uh, look, I've got to say, to finish off my coaching career, um, 2005, probably one of the most satisfying coaching years I've had because we went into the grand final as 
supreme underdog with the University Blues against University Blues, who'd beaten us by about 70 points in the final game. And uh, we, we kind of pulled one off against the odds. That was pleasing. And then uh, we run us up to Old Halibri in, in 2006 and um, I took over 2007 with a, a very much a glint in the eye. I didn't want that to, to be the finish. And so then 2007, I sort of uh, thought I would also mentor Simon Lethleen a bit as a coach. And so uh, that proved to be a good thing to do. So 2007, we, we played and you know, won the grand final well, but Simon Lethleen, my assistant coach, I was continually giving him more of a handover, you know, handover role so he would take over the next year. And I know this might be difficult to do. It might be like choosing your favourite child which no parent would ever admit to. But out of those three flags, 95, 2005 and 2007, do you have a favourite? Is it 2005 against the Blues? Uh, look, yes, it is. And I don't know how much time you've got here, but um, it sort of went something like this. In in uh, 2000, and, um, in that year, the final game, we played University Blues. They beat us by, I think, 75 points at Turak Park. And then we played Old Scotch in the first semi and um, we got through that. It was a bit tight, but we got through that okay. University Blues played Old Halibri in the second semi. And I think they beat them by 76 points or something. You, you have to go to the record but a fair bit. Then we came back and played Old Halibri in the preliminary final. We won by one point. It was almost the last kick of the game. So we had to go and play University Blues again in the grand final. And straight after the game, this will sound a little bit corny, really, but straight after the game, I took the boys into the room and I said, now, listen, um, we're the mob in the dark alley and we're coming for them. And as a result of that, at about sort of three o'clock on Monday morning, I'm thinking, now, what are we going to do here? How are we going to sort of win this? And I came up with a plan and we called it the Predator. And again, might sound a bit corny, but the plan was is the university were very talented with their hands and off half back and the whole lot. So I had this plan uh, that the nearest player to every stoppage, uh, either ball up or boundary throw, and the nearest player, particularly a forward, uh, was not to get the ball, but was only a tackler. That's all he's going to do. It probably was a prelude. Um, I say egotistically to sort of the forward pressure thing that we see in uh, in AFL today, um, where the the whole uh, basis of that game plan was to have immense forward pressure, and we practiced it during the week, and uh, we called it the predator. It kind of worked, you know, so that we ended up um, winning that grand final by nine points. But the but the lads were very very disciplined. And look, there were sort of names like Scotty Mollard and Timmy Oppleshaw and um, oh, look, a whole bunch of those guys that I still saw, you know, still see. And uh, certainly Simon Lethling was one of them. Yeah, I feel sort of that it was probably one of those against the odds that um, a game plan uh, was probably a bit before its time and it worked well on that, uh, on that occasion. Now, Barry, another game you were involved in that was maybe against the odds it was the 1967 VFL Grand Final. It was Richmond's first premiership since 1943, uh, yep. up against a, an all-conquering Geelong side on that particular day. 
Take us back to 1967. Was it similar? Were your Panthers in the dark that day against the Cats? I don't think so. I think that, uh, in, you know, I was only 21 at the time. I think at that stage we were relatively naive. So in 1966, a few of us had played in the reserves premiership side. So names like Royce Hart and uh, you know, Michael Green and Bergen and there were a few of us who played uh, in that 1966 grand final reserve side. And we're also playing on the MCG. Um, we played a game against Geelong on Anzac Day. I think it was Anzac Day where there was you know, 90,000 or thereabouts. And and we beat Geelong on that occasion. Then we also went down in Geelong and beat them again. So even though they were sort of star-studded, I kind of felt that we, I don't know, I think we went in there sort of thinking, oh, well, nothing to lose here and just a little bit of fun. You know, the result looked after itself. But it was a start of some very fine players. The same old story if you sort of look at their era and you've now got names like Bartlett and like Green, Clay, Burke, you know, Barrett was clearly best on the ground that day. Even though we were probably young, I think history would suggest that it was a pretty talented group at the same time. But uh, certainly one of the great grand finals. I think the lead changed four times the last quarter. And uh, one of the great grand finals. And and that was fantastic. I think the next grand final I played in was a bit different because yes. I was playing full back on Jezelenko. And... Um, well, I can remember the pressure of that, you know, knowing what a grand final was about. There's less naivety and, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, playing fullback on Jetalenko was not the most enjoyable <laughs> pre, pre-game pre experience. Especially against Carlton too, the uh, arch rivals. And, and not only that, a few years later in uh, 1974, you've gone to full forward and kicked five goals in a grand final. So uh, versatility seemed to be your major strength. Yeah, look, again, I probably was, um, oh, I don't know how to put this, but that, that was just uh, the cream on the coffee because what had happened, I'd actually done the knee, my good knee, and the, the other knee was a, a continual sort of uh, problem throughout my career, really. So I played my entire career with no cruciate in one knee, and uh, as a result of that, I had to change the game greatly from when I was a schoolboy. Um, but in that 74 years, I'd call it lucky or call it hard work. Um, I missed out on 73, having done the good knee in the first game of 73. The Tigers won the premiership, and there's nothing worse than uh, watching a side win a premiership where you probably would have been part of it. So I thought I had one last crack at this. So I had an operation done on the so-called good knee. You know, worked really hard to rehabilitate, if you like. And I was lucky enough to sort of play about the last three reserves games. And then I was snuck into the side two games before the end of the end of that year, 74. They were obviously looking for, looking for a full forward. And I'd kick sort of, you know, several in the, in the reserves. I think I kick, ended up kicking, I think, probably 20 in the last four games, so including the grand final. And then I retired again. Did try and play the following year, but um, by then recognised that uh, I'll be lucky to get through another season. So that was a, a great way to finish. Uh, I call it a bit lucky, but, you know, I think you make your own luck in this life, which is work hard. And um, I managed to kick four in the last quarter, which was sort of, uh, you know, help Richmond, I suppose, um, in that last quarter, uh, jump ahead. 
that was a satisfying way to finish. Now, Barry, you're a three-time VFL Premiership player. You're a Hall of Fame inductee for Richmond in 2003. Over 100 games, but almost the cream on the coffee, as you would say, must be being one of only two players to ever hold Peter Hudson goalless. Now, this is a man who kicked seven, over 700 goals at an average of 5.6 goals a game, and you kept in goals. Do you remember that day? Well, I certainly do, because everyone keeps bringing it up. <laughs> um, um, and uh, one, of, one of the, oh, look, I can tell you a million stories about that, including you know, with Peter, um, who's a ripper fella, by the way. And yes, I do. It was uh, the reason before, I think the game before, two games before that, he kicked 16 on uh, good old Tassie Johnson. And so I'm going to the game thinking, well, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> uh, and uh, look, I won't labour the point, but again, I had a plan because uh, if you remember Hudson playing, a brilliant player, but he was, he was super quick. And no one kind of worked that out, but he, had, he was super quick over about 10 metres. And uh, they did, basically Hawthorne just kicked the ball over his head quite often and he had an enormous amount of goals running into open goal. So having watched this on the news, black and white news in those days, um, I saw him running into open goal. So I thought, oh, well, maybe I can keep him down to eight <laughs> if um, I stand behind him. So I stood about 20 metres behind him as soon as the, the ball was bounced. And it kind of worried Peter a bit, and we talked about it later, because he used to fall back sort of trying to play in close. So uh, every time he looked around, I made sure I was looking at the crowd or had my arms folded or pretended to be totally disinterested in the whole affair. And uh, what happened is that because Hawthorne kept kicking it, you know, into the goal square, I took about three or four chest marks in the first quarter. And it was a strategy that kind of worked pretty well. We, we laugh about it now because quite often um, I might be at a carbine club or something and Peter is often there, and you're saying, do I, do I remember it? Well, everyone else does, yeah. because there always someone at the table will sort of say, now, yeah, the blank, they kept Peter going. <laughs> so I usually sort of say, making sure Peter's there, um, I usually sort of say, uh, oh, yeah, but it was easy. You know, he <laughs> couldn't really play much, and fat ass, and, you know, so one of the easiest games I've had, so... Peter just rolled his eyes like he just keep walking. <laughs> um, another look of funny story, and it, may, it was a funny story. I was up at the Mitamita River, and uh, I was fishing. My brother-in-law, might have been Gareth Andrews, cut him in. I didn't catch a fish. Went to the went to the pub, met a pub about ten thirty in the morning. There's only two of us there, except one big bloke uh, down the far end of the bar, like a lumberjack-looking type. This would be got 30, uh, 30 years after, I suppose. Anyway, looking at me down the bar, looking at me down the bar, and he kind of wandered down, and he, he looked at me, he says, yeah, it's you, you bastard. And I was going, oh, God, here we go. He says, yeah, it's you, you bastard. And I said, oh, can I help you, mate? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, look, I travelled five and a half hours to MCG to see the great Peter Hudson. <laughs> Didn't go to see you. <laughs> 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 which I kind of loved the story. It was uh, it was a classic. So anyway, I think I bought him the beer and he was quite happy. But anyway, there you go. Would have made his day, uh, Barry. Just a couple of quick ones before we finish off. The significance of being given and presented with the number 17, obviously it's such a huge number at the Richmond Footy Club, won by Jack Dyer, Captain Blood. What was it like when you were first presented with the number? 
Well, it was probably one of the one of the major reasons, or a reason, I actually came to Richmond because in 1964, uh, with my last year at school, I was probably a bit like a first draft pick, I suppose. So I was sort of being, you know, wooed by a lot of clubs. It was open slather in those days. There was no zoning, and uh, I had offers from Melbourne, but Melbourne had played in the 64 Premiership, and uh, I figured I wasn't going to get a game there. Um, but I was just sort of throwing it up in a bit. And anyway, Jack Dyke came onto the farm in Barnawatha, along with Graham Richmond. And anyway, when he was leaving, he said, now listen, son, you come to Richmond, you have my number 17. And it had been on ice for a long time. So uh, that was kind of a bit of a clincher, you know, to get Jack Dyke's number 17. And uh, that was uh, certainly one of the reasons I probably ended up uh, playing with the Tigers. And it was always, I think, a thing of, Probably even more so now, I think, as time has gone on, it's because it became our number, which has been probably a bit, a bit iconic. Last one from me, Barry. I just want to go back to Old Zavarians for a moment and ask you about, because I brought it up at the start of this podcast, and it'd be remiss of me to let it go before we let you go, the annual pig shooting camping trip to Hay that you go on with your son, Daniel, and his former Zavs teammates, but quite a few of your Richmond teammates as well. Can you shed some light for us? on what you get up to and how that all came about? Oh, look, I, I would hardly know where to start. But um, <laughs> I actually, when I finished uh, one particular stage, I, I was always deeply, still am probably a, a country boy at heart. So when I was at home on the farm, I used to be a bow hunter. And so some stage during a busy life as a physio, a couple of my old mates from Wodonga were all around. So we're going bow hunting, you want to come? So I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So we went up to, you know, the Macquarie or Marshes in Warren or thereabouts. And then after a couple of years, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to catch up with Neil Barm and Neville Roberts, who are over at Adelaide. And another great of mine, uh, uh, John Bartlett, the surgeon. So I got this eclectic group of guys and we would go bow hunting. And uh, so every so often we'd stick an arrow into a pig and that was, you know, it wasn't a bad idea. Then as time went on, um, you know, Dan, when he was about 18 or thereabouts, he decided he would seem like a good idea as well. So, and a couple of his mates, uh, Andy McLean, and there was uh, Anthony Burke, and then we had a, a group of us who would go to a property outside Hay. And then it just as gradually evolved um, that uh, every year, um, it's now a group of something like about 20 of uh, old guys, like myself, and uh, Daniel's group, and, and, and you know, amateur boys like you know Michael Blood and Timmy Ockleshaw and Timmy Clark, Simon Leftleen, to name a few of the uh, the ratbags. But um, <laughs> I have to say, for us to get a pig these days, um, we need to wander in a camp and trip, trip over a claret bottle, and then we might get one. <laughs> but that's about as close as we get to a pig these days. <laughs> So it's just become a, a, a just a yeah a very pleasant experience on the banks of the Murrumbidgee. Sort of uh, you know two groups of you know the guys I originally went with and and nearly we've had um, oh yeah, a few sort of guests. You know Nathan Buckley comes up a bit and uh, you know a couple of those guys. David Burton's been up a couple of times, so it's a lot of fun. We sort of um, we have you know, have have a dinner at night and all of the rubbish that goes on with it. So good fun and 
we're very privileged to be able to sort of stay on a property up there, which is on the Murrumbidgee. Barry, it's been a pleasure spending half an hour with yourself, recounting your time coaching the old Zavs, your time at the Tigers, and of course the famous pig hunting exposés. You're a life member of the footy club. Just as we let you go, what does that mean to you? I mean, you've achieved so much in your footballing career, but to be a life member of old Zavs, a three-time premiership coach there, I mean, how fondly does this footy club sit within your heart? Oh, look, very much so, uh, very much so. And I think uh, that was always uh, a great privilege and honour to sort of be, be a life member of or really both clubs. So, um, you know, both Richmond and, and the Alzaz. But, um, yeah, I'm not a great spectator these days. I don't go to a lot of games. I tend to sort of, uh, I think I've always been either fully in or fully out. Very keen to see how they go as far as the... Yeah, the season's go. Well, congratulations on all you've achieved, Barry, with Old Zavs and with the Richmond Footy Club. We appreciate you joining us on the Club in Focus podcast. Take care of yourself and we'll chat soon. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Nick. Well, Nico, we move from the superstar coach, Barry Richardson, to the superstar player, the game's record holder at Old Zavs on 311. He's part of those six straight premierships. He's now a member of the Crocs or recently playing as part of the Crocs. His name is David Landrigan and he joins us on the Club in Focus podcast. Hello, David. G'day, guys. How are you? We're going very well. Can you just clear that up for us? Are you still running around with the Crocs? What have you uh, <laughs> no. pulled the boots off? <laughs> no, <laughs> I pulled the boots off. Too many broken ribs. Well, there you go. So just, <clears throat> and also confirm, is it 311 games or have you moved over to the 400s now? Excuse me. Oh, God, no. No, I think you... I didn't even know that I played 311. I thought it was about 305, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, they've snuck in for a couple more. Uh, David, the reason we want to chat to you is not only about the uh, the six premierships, but also about this dominant Crocs side that have been around yep. for a very long time and uh, did some numbers a bit earlier on. Between 1992 and 2007, there's 18 pennants sitting in the Two Rack Road club rooms. Um, just how dominant are these clubbies of yours? Well, they were back in those days. It's... Uh, I think uh, my brother um, was a part of that uh, that year. I think he won like 13 premierships. He had been there for a fair while, and I had a few years off and uh, came back. And things had changed somewhat uh, from the from the clubbies back in the day to what it is now because they've moved division. Can I ask you? Obviously, most of the players have been around. Zavs for a long time. What is the recruiting process when it comes to getting blokes to play for the Crocs? Is it guys that are um, have just finished playing seniors in resis footy, or is it mates? Or how do you go about that one? These days, it's more. Uh, I suppose it's a weight of numbers because we've got so many teams and so many players miss out. When I was involved, because I was coaching there for a couple of years as well, we would sort of have to wait until the the thirds had been picked, and then we'd steal a few of their players and. Um, we'd have a core group, but obviously, you know, because, because it's clubbies and not professional, Friday nights get involved and uh, usually get a phone call <laughs> saying, can't make it today, coach. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a bit of a, um, you know, down the ladder, okay, whoever's who's available and who wants to play uh, pretty much these days. But they do have a core group of about 20, 24 blokes who are there most weeks. David, I mentioned you won... You're a member of those six straight senior flags. And we just spoke to Barry about what it was like when he came down to coach in 1995 and what built mm. from there. Can you remember when Barry did come down? Was there a oh, significant yeah. change in 95 to the 94 season? Yeah, no, most definitely. The most, and I say this, I've told this a few times to a few people. I remember the 94 best and fairest night and 
because I'd been there for about four years and we'd had, a, you know, we'd been in finals for a couple of years prior to that, but we were such a boys club. And I remember the presentation night, we were just being absolute fools. And I think uh, the, the president got up and speaking and everyone was just talking and just being idiots. And then Bones got up and absolutely tore shreds through us all. And it was at that point where we were like, wow, okay, this is now serious. He took it to the next level in terms of coaching, not that the other coaches couldn't, but he uh, he had that air of scariness. <laughs> and did you sense after you won the 95 flag that even though he wasn't the coach, that you were just going to keep building? I mean, he talked about some of the guys would go on a Monday morning to the gym and rock up at his house at 7.30 saying mm. they've already knocked off an extra session for the week. Did you just mm. feel that vibe around the club reverberate everywhere? Yeah, that certainly happened. Um, I know there was, a, there was a core group of us who who got together and said, right, let's, let's start making this an annual event, hopefully. Um, and it did in the end. But the 96 season was totally different to what everyone would think. We, I think we'd lost, out of the first 11 games, I think we'd lost nine. So we were down the bottom of the ladder. So it was a, it was a strange feeling. Fortunately, we got back up and we won our last eight games to get to sneak into the final. It was a bit of a, a premiership hangover and then we woke up halfway through the year. Now, you've played with some absolutely phenomenal players, which is no surprise given you've gone six in a row. Under Nick Burke and Tim O'Shaughnessy, obviously, you've got Michael Blood being one of them, Lethers being another one of them. Can you take us through some of the players um, that I suppose stand out to you during that period? Yeah. Well, Johnny Bowen. Johnny Bowen uh, my best mate. Um, he played in a total of seven, I think. He was an absolute rock of Gibraltar. Uh, played pretty much anywhere. Tim Ockleshaw was probably the best player I think I've ever played with. Um, sort of Scott Pendlebury, like for those who don't know who uh, don't know Tim, um, he was amazing. Matt Burke uh, at full forward, Andrew Brushfield full back. Just I mean the list goes on and on and on. The fact that we were successful for so long that people wanted to come to us and, and play, and we didn't pay them by the way. For those who still believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you about one particular moment in one particular game on the Old Zabs website, which is absolutely phenomenal for historical purposes? It says in the mm. 2003 prelim final, Church delivered some entirely fair retribution to a Scotch player who had crudely spoiled him in an <laughs> earlier encounter that season. The crowd erupted, Zabs came from behind to win the game, and then the Premiership. Do you remember that moment and basically being the catalyst for your flag? Uh, I wouldn't say it was a catalyst, but it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I certainly um, got some retribution. I think I, I can't remember. I think it was Hosking. I can't remember who it was, but I got him at uh, centre half back, and I, I probably would have got six weeks if it was today. It was a fair hip and shoulder. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> David, you mentioned uh, the Bowens before, and uh, Jack. We spoke to John a bit earlier on, and of course uh, Anthony Bowen as well at Zavs. The Landrigan name is also synonymous with your footy club. You talked about your brother, Tony. Mm. Your father is a life member, Terry. And we've been yep. told that uh, one of the former presidents, Simon Hunt, married into your family mm. and uh, married your sister. You guys can't get away yeah. from the place. No, no, no. Simon, um, we uh, we took him under under our wing and thought he was uh, not a bad bloke. And then we thought we'd just ship him off to uh, Tuesday, Thursday night training and look after the club. <laughs> So, so my sister could get some rest. 
Well, just as we let you go, David, you still are the current uh, game's record holder for the club. Chopper Hanley closing quick, though. Do you reckon he'll go past you? I'll, I'll do something about that, don't worry. <laughs> and if, and if, if he gets near it, I'll pull the boots back on. <laughs> <laughs> David, thanks for joining us. It's a great note to finish on. Look after yourself and hopefully sometime in 2020 we'll get some footy back to talk about. Take care. Cheers, guys. Good on you. Bye. Nico, how good to hear from Dave Landrigan. Good to hear also that if Chopper gets anywhere near him, he's going to pull the boots back on. And uh, he's on 311 games. At last count for Zavs, Chopper was on 250, but we know he's gone past that. He's probably around 270 now. And he's on a hot streak at the moment, Matty Hanley. He may have closed in on 300 if we had a full season in 2020. And I know you and I got to speak to him uh, a couple of times throughout last year during the broadcast before I get your thoughts on Chopper Hanley and going past Dave into the 300 club. Uh, here he is last year on whether he's going to just continue to keep going and going and going. I ask this a lot of people. Uh, Are you going to just keep going? Just, I'm calling I you the Benjamin the only Button. question people ask him. He's going to keep going. I want you to keep going. I want you to go forever. I've been asking for the last, last five years, uh, and it is a bit like that. You've just got to take it. Um, one week at a time. Well, I know it's, it sounds, you know, it's, everyone says it, but it's, it's true. You've got to, um, you know, enjoy it while you can. I'm lucky enough that my body's held up, so I enjoy the game still. Um, it's not it's not a, not a stress on my life, so while I keep enjoying it, while I'm... Uh, contributing to the team, I'll, I'll keep playing. Just wants to keep going, Nico. He just wants to keep going. Oh, mate, uh, Chopper Hanley kicked his 800th goal in the semi-final last year, and we were there for that moment. He'll go forever, the Benjamin Button of the competition. Yeah, he just wants to keep going, and I'm sure he just wants people to stop asking him that question too. It seems to be the only one that people... He's not He's not really that old. He's still on Thursday, I mean, he's going to you for left, and maybe this time off, the players like Chop will do their body good if they were struggling at all in the first place anyway, but he's been an absolute champion of the competition. You really only need to talk to anyone from Zavs who's been there for the past 20 years. Um, and they, the way they speak about Chop um, is just glowingly in all respects. And I mean, the fact that he has kicked to 800 goals now, we watched that in the finals last year. It was a tough day for Zavs, but when he did kick that goal, the crowd absolutely erupted. So he's just one of a many greats that have uh, ran around Zaz recently and over the past. And I'll go through a few of them now. Oh, as we heard from Dave, Tim Ockleshaw, a lot of people say he's one of the best players, if not the best player that they've seen um, during the late 90s, early 2000s. Nick Wynn is another one who's been dubbed a very big game player um, more recently. And then you've got Steve Curtin, who played Big V, Lethers, who we spoke about, Dan Richardson as well being one, Nick Byrne, Michael Blood's one, who I interviewed for Lethers last year for his Big V induction, four best and fairest during a period where they're just winning flags. <laughs> He's a real testament to how good he is um, running through the ruck. And then we go back a bit further, and we've got Peter Slattery, Mitch McKenzie, who won three VAFA BNFs in 68, 70, and 72, all the way back to Frank Higginbotham, C and B section of medals in 37 and 39. So it's just a long list. And I mean, that's only a few of the champions that have run around. And there's a couple of others here. Andrew Dillon, he, he finishes on 290 games for the footy club. A couple of life members are Paddy Hawkins and Matt Hannabury. We're going to hear from Matt very shortly. He spoke to us as well last year. We mentioned at the top, he's the father of Dan, currently in a director of football role with old Zav. So we'll have a listen to D- uh, Matt Hannabury in a moment. I also just want to mention one in more recent years. He'll demand as soon as he hears this, 
Where's his name? His name is Brendan Goss. Uh, he's a superstar of their footy club. Just ask him. He'll tell you all about it. But you can do that at a later date. you find him on Twitter and uh, a few other people on there. He loves his golf game. But also, Nico, Tommy Johnston. Now, he won the 2016, 2017, 2018 Best and Ferris. So Best and Ferris in the 2016 Grand Final year. Absolute superstar. But before we do have a chat to the current president, let's go back and have a listen to Matty Hannabury, who was part of the pregame show last year with us on RSN Carnival. What does your role entail when it comes to being in charge of the footy club at Old Zavs? I'm, we're talking about, you know, behind the scenes you do some of your best work. Mm-hmm. Does that involve bringing players like Rowan Buick to your footy club yeah. and selling the message and the dream that you could be part of this successful Zabs campaign? Yeah, I, I suppose, um, yeah, off-season I'm pretty active in the in the recruiting and, and obviously it's a... As most amateur um, recruiters would know, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, you know, bang for buck. It's a, it's a numbers game. You got to speak <laughs> to a lot, and you get a lot of disappointments. You certainly get a lot, lot more losses, and you get wins out of the whole thing. But, um, but you know, community footy, we're we're very lucky on the committee. We've got probably seven or eight people that put in a power of work, and I'm just one of those that sort of does whatever's required, whether it be serving the beers or um, you know pumping up footies or whatever we do uh, it's, it's a great club and and it's a good I, I, I do it because I just love love an outlet you know you work hard and you got your family and it's just I suppose my thing mm. um, so getting down there on a the night's no, fantastic because I was told Nico the other night at the Woodrow medal night that you act as the second senior coach sort of on the other side of the ground from the coach such as the loud booming voice you're almost the 19th <laughs> man out there for this team I, I, I did that last week and, <laughs> and um, I was sort of quite embarrassed really at the end of the, at the end of the night I hardly slept that night I think what an absolute what an absolute uh, deal <laughs> stalking. people said they watched the vision watched me stalking up and down the side and um, my son Dan was there watching goes God I thought you were back in the under 10s at Q Road <laughs> Talking the boundary line, yelling at blokes. So it was, uh, yeah, probably not one of my finest moments. But, but I am, a, I'm a passionate old Zav, and I unfortunately I, I probably at times get a bit too passionate about the whole thing. But, but I love the comp, and I love, uh, I love the club. Well, speaking of Dan, he's obviously got a big contract to see out, and a few, quite a few more years at AFL level. But is that going to be one of your biggest recruits once he uh, decides to depart AFL level? Oh, look, I think coming down, he's really. Um, because of the way, I mean, this year he hardly played, so he, he had plenty of time on his hands. And then even the Saints play on, often play on those odd times due to their um, uh, their fixtures. So I reckon he probably saw a dozen or so games this year and really really enjoyed it. So uh, you know he's got a few few mates down here, and um, you know I'm sure he'll uh, he's certainly a, an interested interested spectator. Nico, we move from Dave Landrigan to the current day president in Matty Cosgrave, and he joins us now. Hello, Matty. G'day, Joey. How are you going? We're going very well, thank you, mate. Uh, during this time, how are you finding it uh, leading the all-conquering Zavs at the moment? Are you staying in touch with every single one of those players of yours? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely it's interesting times, that's for sure. We had our uh, very first uh, Zoom Thursday night last night, and we had you know probably about 100 people uh, uh, tuning in, which is very different from a, a Thursday night at Surat Park in the middle of winter. Um, but it was great to see, great to see everybody. It was uh, quite amazing, actually. We had everyone from Porky Road and uh, as a life member of the footy club and played back in the, the 50s and 60s and Jack Bowen is similar to our current day women's players on the uh, on the call. So it was it was great to uh, to touch base with everyone and see how everyone's going. So it's different times, but um, you know we're we're working through it now, Matty. When Nick told me we were going to do old Zavs as the club in focus and we were going to chat to yourself, I punched your name into Google. 
And uh, a Jim Cosgrave came up from 1952, the best and fairest of the footy club, and the captain in 1954. So straight away I got on the phone to yourself and said, is that a relation to you? And is that where the bloodlines of old Zavs start for you? Yeah, well, probably, probably it was. It was um, Jim was my grandfather's brother. Uh, he's actually also, Jim's the, the grandfather of Evie Prowse, um, who, who you may or may not remember played in probably three or four flags through that, the, the mid to late 2000s, a fantastic player, a wing. Yeah, Jim, Jim obviously was a star player um, back in the day, and my old man played a bit in the Crocs, and Cosgrove's been kind of synonymous with Xavier, and, and have, have most of them have come through and played at some point. But that's kind of one of the great things about the footy club, some great family stories. Uh, you only have to look at um, you know, like the Honan family. Gerald Honan was uh, the inaugural secretary back in 1923, and you know Damien's been involved, you know, as a as a committee member player and, and now a sponsor um, for a long period of time. And Will Honan's playing, so you've got them, the, the Bowens, the Landrigans. There's some great family ties throughout throughout the footy club over the years. Can you remember back to when it all really started? To your playing days and before, obviously your career-ending injuries and things like that. But can, do, you, do you remember as a kid being down at the club? I remember oh, not as a not as a young 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 fella. Probably more into my my teens, to be honest. I played obviously under nineteen footy and uh, in through the under nineteen. Tommy Moore, who would probably be listening to this, was my coach. Dropped me for a grand final. Never forgiven him. So um, <laughs> once he did that, I realised I was probably better. You know, my my skills probably served better elsewhere. So I hung up the boots, but. Um, yeah, no, I've got very fond memories of the footy club. Take us back to uh, 2015, Matty. You win the uh, William Denton Perpetual Trophy. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that, that's correct. What's that's, the William uh, Denton Perpetual Trophy represent for the footy club? The Denton name's quite uh, uh, famous name in the footy club. Um, Billy, who was uh, president before me, actually, and he's, he's a good family friend of mine. Um, uh, his father, the, the, the award's named after, um, and it's uh, it's given in honour of um, significant off-field service over an extended period of time. So there's been some great names that have won that award. So that was uh, that was a great honour back in 2015 and also to be presented it to by, you know, Bill and uh, the Denton boys. It was great given our, our close family ties there as well. You came in as president in 2017 and I remember the article that came out. It had your favourite moments from over the years and your involvement with Zavs and they were the 2009 and 2016 flags, particular Nick wins last quarters. Do they still hold true to this day as your favourite moments from over the years? Oh, definitely. I think, um, you know, that 2016 flag was very special. It was very much against the uh, against the odds. Um, I don't think anyone really picked us in that grand final. And, you know, there were some special performances, you know, Winnie and Dan Noonan and those guys who played, you know, special games there. The wins when they're unexpected are definitely the, uh, the sweetest ones. So, yeah, 2016 and, and 2009 was a great win as well. I just want to quickly touch on, as president, your outlook for the club um, during your tenure and into the future. You've recently, you've added Paul Newton, um, who used to be the president of Old Carey, and he was on the VAFA board for a short period. He's coming to the club to help it off field as well. And I suppose those sort of acquisitions and where you see the club as a professional outfit over the next few years. Yeah, it's probably been um, discussed Technology and you know around the, the professionalism of the amateur competition, but we say we're a big community footy club, and you know we need to be as professional as we can off the field in order to be able to provide everything we can on the field. So um, yeah, Paul's come across to help us with our our corporate partnership program and our business networking group that we've got. 
and uh, he's been uh, a great addition. He's obviously uh, well known amongst the, the Buffer fraternity and um, uh, you know highly respected. So it's great to have him on board, working with our corporate corporate partners to ensure you know they get some good value for their money by growing that business network and our, and helping our corporate partners. We hope to just you know solidify the club's future and enable us to to continue to grow and provide games of footy um, for as many boys and girls as possible. And we've also kind of expanded the footy club even into netball. We've got about six netball teams now. So the club's continuing to grow, um, which is really exciting. You know, I, I think that's going to be the way forward. Um, hopefully we continue to expand and um, and continue to provide as many opportunities to play sport for, for as many boys and girls as possible. Matty, a club of your size obviously wouldn't be possible without people putting in a lot of blood, sweat and tears and time over the years. Uh, a bit earlier on, we heard from Jack Bowen, who was part of the club when it was almost on its knees in the 70s. We played a bit of Michael Fitzgerald, who's been around Ammo Circles and at Zavs for a very long time. I mean, these two just sort of stand out amongst a host of volunteers that, without your help and support, be possible. Is there a few that just stick out in your memory over the journey that have helped you along the way? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've been blessed as a footy club to have amazing people. Um, You know, I've spoken to people who have kind of been at our club and been at other clubs and, and, and that, that's one thing they say that does stand out is that the amount of people that are willing to, to get their hands dirty and get involved and help out. And, um, you know, as you say, we've named a couple there. We've, we've been blessed to have some great servants at the footy club uh, who have been around a long time. I mean, I look at Terry Landrigan, who's who's the current property steward, who's, who's about 80. I think he's 80. Um, <laughs> Terry's still doing a great job. Um, people like Peter McDonald, um, who was uh, probably should prior to that, uh, the late Tony Hewlett, who was secretary for a long time and, and probably really helped the club, you know, become more and more professional. You know, he, he was a fantastic resource. And then obviously, you know, we've been great. We've been blessed to have some really great leaders. With Simon Hunter was president for 10 years, Robbie Ralph for 14 years. So we've had a really stable um, leadership over a long time. You know, we're, we're really lucky to have those quality people helping out. I, I, I'd also turn to, you know, more current days and I look at, um, Anthony Rowan and, and his son Charlie, who, who kind of walked in off the street a couple of years, you know, probably three or four years ago now, and I don't think they've missed uh, a reserves game, goal umpiring and boundary umpiring, respectively. So, you know, it's those kind of people that make the footy club really tick, and, and that's what we're all about. So, we're really lucky to have people like that. Last one, Matty, before we let you go. In a couple of sentences, can you possibly sum up what this footy club means to you and, and to the Cosgrave family? Oh, look, I think it's personally a really important part of my life. It's, uh, you've You've got your work, you've got your family, and, and then it's really important to have something else. And, um, you know, I think when, you know, sometimes things don't necessarily go to plan in life, it's really important to have something like the footy club, you know, there to support you. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing community with amazing people. So um, very, very lucky and very privileged to be involved with it. Hopefully, Maddie, for your sake and for all old Zavs fans, we're not too far away from some sort of footy in 2020, mate. Thanks for joining us and thanks for letting us put the old Zavs in focus uh, today, mate. Really appreciate it. No, Thanks, guys. Nico, this has been a massive Club in Focus podcast. We are talking about the most successful club of the last 40 years in the Amos Old Zavarians. Back in 1923, they started. Jock McHale was one of their first coaches. They booted Collingwood out of the league in the early 60s. Jack Bowen picked them up off their knees. They won a divisional flag in 1976. In 1981, they claimed their first of 14 A-section flags, and we have covered it all 
across the last hour or so, all thanks to Mequacare, a not-for-profit organisation who have been around themselves since 1959. They've seen Zavs come from the clouds to be this all-conquering Amos team. Yeah, absolutely, Joey. It's been really fun talking to our four guests today. It's clearly winning is just at the forefront of the culture down at Zavs, which I absolutely love, whether it's the seniors over the last 40 years, whether it's the reserves, the thirds, the Club 18, the Crocs, who have just been absolutely phenomenal to Dave Landry, or the women, which have introduced over the past few years. Now, I had a lot of fun today, Joey, covering one of the most, if not the most successful club in the Amos. Phenomenal effort. Now, just uh, one thing I did learn throughout this, which... I didn't know beforehand was that Barry Richardson, like me, carved out a stellar career without an ACL. Barry won three <laughs> VFL flags with the Tigers, coached the Tigers, was president of the Tigers, uh, then coached Dabs in, what was it, three years that he coached them. He won three flags, if you don't mind, and the other one he just missed out by a whisker. So, you know, Barry and I are pretty similar, I reckon, Nico. Um, is there anything that you learned that you didn't know you were going to learn across the last hour? Oh, that you will take any opportunity to mention yourself or St. Bernard. Wait, I didn't learn that. I didn't learn that. I knew that already. It was good to hear. I mean, oh, it's not great to hear because, like, obviously what I wanted to hear at the start of today was about the turning point in the 70s that Jack just really refuses to take credit for, obviously, what he's done. You speak to anyone down at Zavs and they tell you that he did 90% of the grunt work to get them back on track. And it was funny to hear that he, both he and Dave Landrigan both remember the moment that Barry Richardson delivered that almighty spray at the start of 1995 before they went on their winning run of six in a row. And so that's clearly something or a spray that's gone down in folklore down at Turak Park. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall that night just to see and hear what Barry, he probably would have taken the paint off the walls. Um, uh, You asked Jack Bowen about the rivalry that they have with all the clubs, really. They're almost like blockbuster fatigue for old Zavs. You know, every week is a rivalry for them. And I know from St. Bernard's ways that one of the greatest home and away wins the club will get is beating Zavs at Turak Park. For yourself, Nico, and the few years you've been involved with the Amos, is there a rivalry with Zavs that you just can't wait for every time the fixture comes around? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you ask most people from the other clubs and they've all seemed to think, like you said, they've got some sort of rivalry with Zavs. Um, probably over the last few years, it's definitely been St. Kevin's. I've seen some almighty scuffles over the last couple of years, which really, and we know that when you see St. Kevin's and Zavs going out, you see their supporters on the boundary sharing words, as long as it's all kept relatively tame, you've got to love that. But it was interesting because I, I mentioned those those teams that they played against that they've beaten and that they've lost against. And there's no one that genuinely stands out. Probably the, for the most part, Scotch is what comes up when it, um, Zabs come up as their biggest rivalries that I've ever heard. But I mean, they've only lost to Ormond twice. And because they haven't lost that many times <laughs> in a grand final, that it's hard, it's hard to build that rivalry and they've not dominated any particular club um, because these teams that are coming up against them in the grand final are only doing so spasmodically. So I don't know, everyone, as we've spoken to Michael Christian from St. Kevin's in the pregame, and I mean, that's what St. Kevin's are trying to do now and have been over the last few years. They're trying to build this dynasty and they're basing it on the foundation that was built from Zavs 
in that time during the 90s. Been fascinating to learn all things red and black, all things claret and stout, which you wrote about last year on vaffer.com.au. Get your blazers and ties out. I think that was one of your favourite headlines that you wrote going into the finals last year. So it has been a lot of fun, uh, all thanks to Mechwicare, bringing you the Club in Focus podcast this week. There is still time, Nico, for other clubs to get involved, for us to put their club in shining lights. It's as simple as heading to vaffer.com.au to get involved with Nick Armistead. Uh, if you want to put your club in lights, reach out to the great man there. Otherwise, you can follow the Ammos on Twitter at VaffaHQ or on Instagram at VaffaHQ. And Nico, we will do it all again very soon. <laughs>